Did this movie ever get a boutique release? No, man, not at all. And I was hoping that Warner Brothers, you know, either Warner Archive or, you know, I hope somebody picks this movie up and gives it a, a, you know, I feel like it's screaming for it. in the garage i'm cory cope i'm freddie waff we're back in john badham land yeah point of no return uh this is a remake of luke Besson's la femme nikita and depending on who you talk to some say it's better some say it's inferior i don't want to say it's better or not better i'll just say this is a completely different take as from nikita oh yeah for sure there's something to be said about not having to read while you're watching a movie <laughs> yeah i'm gonna say i'm in the camp that i mean i if you give me a choice i'll watch this i'm mean, agreed uh, agreed i yeah. do like la femme nikita but um you know given the option i'll pick this over that for some reason i don't know it has maybe it's maybe you're right maybe it's having to read while the action sequences are going on but i don't know i mean there's just something about this movie that you know i don't know i saw it uh when it came out a big screen and i'd never seen i'd only seen la femme nikita like on video maybe before that so who knows it's ingrained that way but it's weird man that badham made this movie right before he made drops right and like this and that's a nice one-two punch and i mean this this movie did did some decent dollars i think it did like 30 30 million domestic oh yeah which is a a decent taken what 1992 they probably shot it in 92 yeah you know because it was it was released in 93 yeah uh what i find it, it's a it's, it, it's a big budget they put some money into this movie oh yeah well because i think they paid a decent amount of money to get the rights for the for us or for remake rights at that point the only thing i had seen bridget fonda in extensively like a lot of was singles at that point and you know i thought she was adorable in singles but i'm like well how is she gonna pull this off how is she gonna do this because i was familiar enough with nikita to go wait she's gonna be playing that character i don't know if she can how that's going to work. You know why? Because the camera loves Bridget, dude. <laughs> I mean, good God. Is there a shot of her in this movie where she looked, not even at the beginning, where she's completely like, grimy? You know, yeah. Yeah. And her, she's got the rotten teeth and everything else. And she still looks good. Where she won me over was that scene, was the opening scene with her and these thugs go break into a pharmacy. You know, she's hurting. She's definitely having withdrawals and she needs her drugs. And, and one of the guys that's with them that's helping break in, <laughs> as it turns out, is the son of the guy that owns the pharmacy. Jeffrey and, Lewis. Yeah, who lives upstairs with his wife the, above the store. But he hears him breaking in because the, the druggies were, <laughs> were patient enough to wait for the guy to use his key to unlock the padlock. But they break into this place, and you just see Bridget Fonda for the first time. And if you've seen the movie, if you saw the trailers for the movie or the TV spots, you never saw this version of her, of Maggie, her character. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you always saw her blowing shit up, and but you saw her cleaned up and dolled up a bunch. So when you see her like this, you're like, whoa, what's going on here? 
and her whole scene in this opening sequence makes me just go, okay, I'm in for this. Cause you, you, you're already like whatever preconceived notions I had for you being the neighbor on singles is gone. Yeah. It's funny, man. Cause, uh, I, I mean, I was already a giant fan of her it's from shag and single white female. I love shag um, and singles. It continued um, my love affair for Annabeth Gish with that movie. Yeah. And Phoebe Cates. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about shag someday. Yes. Dude, this, like the whole thing, like she just, she's playing it. She's, she's hurting for a fix. And like, you know, these guys are like drugstore cowboy robbery cat and dude young michael rapaport oh my gosh dude like a set barely recognized him (laughs) unrecognizable visually yes unmistakable voice absolutely (laughs) it made me think that dick ritchie actually got a role in a movie yeah oh my god right (laughs) he got that one big role and then uh not just an actor dick yeah (laughs) all i got is fucking floyd so they end up breaking into this place and the cops get alerted by, I don't know if there was a silent alarm or if, or if homeboy upstairs set off, you know, called the police ahead of time or did the, did the, did the wife call the police? Yes. The wife's on the police. She's on, she's, she's yelling at Jeffrey Lewis. Don't you do it. Just stay here to the coat. And she's yeah. on, the, she's on with nine one one, but he's having no part of that shit. So he goes downstairs and then he starts some shit. Cause you know, people are breaking into a store. Something happens and there's guns drawn everywhere and, and then both Rappaport and his homeboy are like challenging the old man. Go ahead, shoot us. What are you gonna do? Shoot us? Come on, old man. You're gonna shoot your boy. I dare you. You're gonna you shoot, shoot your, your son, baby boy. And then then you're like, oh my gosh, it really is. It's this kid. Well, I don't know what what sets it off, but guns start getting fired. And do you remember when I texted you, like, and I said, hey man, how do you feel about the crow? <laughs> you know why? Is because the beginning of this kind of totally the crow, totally, right? like the, totally. the guy and the music and the whole thing. Yep. And it was like, that's where that came from. Not that you really care, but let's go. I'm no, sorry, man. no, it's, it's, it's fair. It, it, but there's a, you were getting a lot of that. Like we talked about with drop zone and terminal velocity, heck for that matter, to a lesser degree, mark for death. And that time we were getting a lot of, um, I don't want to say rehashed tropes, but I think it wasn't uh, rehashed so much as I think this is where the tropes were started and can, you know, where they kind of were, why we were in the middle of the ocean of these reoccurring themes that we were getting in the nineties action movies. Eventually the police show up, but as the police are showing up is when gunfire erupts and (laughs) old man gets shot. Rappaport gets shot. The guy that shoots first shoots the guy from the crow, the guy from the crow gets killed. (laughs) And then just, and the cops come in and they're like, what the hell's going on? There's dead bodies everywhere except for Bridget's character just sitting there on the floor, all dirty up. up. Just completely disheveled because she's hurting for her drugs. And a cop comes up to check on her. By the way, the cop, isn't that the cop from the Matrix? Yes, <laughs> okay. I think so. Okay. I think it is. Because he does like the same kind of thing as like the opening of the Matrix, but I could be wrong. Well, it's funny too, because she's all curled up. And I just thought about this when you said it. she's curled up in a fetal position on the ground, right? Like hurting for drugs. It's kind of like she's being reborn. Like I didn't really realize like the, the significance of it until right this moment, but her world has been stripped away and now she's lying. It's almost, I feel like I got to go back and look at it. I've watched it twice in the last few days, but I'm going to look at it again after we talk. But anyway, this is random thought went through my head. I'm going to shut up. So that's so the cop, this cop comes up and and he's like checking her out and he just sees like, he, he thinks that she's a victim in all this. He leans down at her to check on her and he, she pulls his beret out from his holster, puts it under his chin and just do right. Just sprays his brains all over the back of the wall. I'm like, Whoa. All right. Yeah. then. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of when I knew we were in for like, I was like, Oh God, it's that kind of movie. Cause I, you know, 
who knew it was a studio movie. I didn't know how, I didn't know really. And Bridget Fonda, I was like, what are they, are they, how are they going to go for it? And yes, right. is the answer. The answer is yes. But yes, yeah, so I, it was so wild. Little quickie, little, I don't want to say montage moments, but just you jump around a couple of bits and see that she's on trial. She's getting sent to a lethal injection because that's yeah, what man. happens in, in DC. <laughs> you get the, that is right. You get the juice. She wakes up in a white room because she's dead. Right. We're like, what the? What is she? <laughs> but, but is she? It's it's very surreal. If you hadn't seen Nikita, and, I, and I, they don't take a lot of cues at this moment from Nikita, but if you'd never seen it and you didn't know what the movie was about or didn't talk to anybody prior, right? You're, you'd be like, wait, <laughs> but is this what one is of those? On? Is this one of those movies where someone goes to heaven, they send them back down to do God's work? No, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's like all white and shiny and like, you know. Our character Maggie wakes up inside this white room on on a white bed, and you're like, "What is this crap going on here?" And this is where we introduced the Bob. Yeah, man. Gabriel Byrne. Now, I mentioned to you recently, um, but I don't think we said it on the show. But I was watching War of the Worlds TV show. It's on Epics, and yeah, and Gabriel Byrne is one of the leads in it. And that's a you know that's a shot in 2019 production. So to see that Gabriel Burns like for like five or six episodes of an hour long show. And then to go back and watch him, gosh, close to 30 years ago now. Right. Oh yeah, man. It's weird. Totally. Cause I just watched zero, zero, zero on prime right. and Gabriel Byrne is in that. And I almost didn't recognize that. I was like, who in the fuck? Oh my God. It's Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. It, it looks when you see him in this movie, <clears throat> after watching the old version of him, like I had, it feels like a Mike, man, did they use that, that in, the Irishman de-aging on him? No, he's just young. <laughs> just, right? But like he's, I mean, he's super handsome. And boy, but does his accent ring truer in this movie than any other oh, movie? Dude. Yeah. Totally. I mean, the things I will, that I took away from this movie is that in 1992, Gabriel Byrne had the perfect hair. He had the right hair. And uh, his accent was thick, man. Was this, yeah. was this right after Miller's Crossing, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. Because after this, he would, I don't think he would do anything until he did. Usual suspects. Usual suspects, yeah. I mean, I, the last thing I had seen him in, honestly, uh, before he showed up in Zero Zero Zero, I I used I, I was a big fan of In Treatment, the HBO thing. I, yeah, I've never I never I've never watched it. But I remember it used to be on. I'm like I used to poo poo it. I'm like I don't want to watch that. I, I got enough shit going on in my life. I'm like yeah, man, it's a, it's a downer, dude. Yeah, I won't come on. Where's my entourage? Damn it. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> not quite entourage, but Gabriel Byrne, man, Bob, good old Bob shows up. Bob, and he's perfect and he's just kind of being her clarence you know he just just start to kind of let her know mike you know what uh here's your situation you're all you're you're in some dire straits but here's the most important thing you're dead the whole world thinks you're dead here's uh pictures of your funeral and there's your dad at your funeral your mom didn't show up and then maggie says hey you, you know okay what the hell is all this mean he's like well uh, we're going to use you now. The whole world thinks you're dead and now you're ours. Well, what if I don't want to do this? You don't have a choice, sweetheart. Oh, <laughs> was it pl plot 15? <laughs> we're going to bury you. We already have a spot for you to put you in. Basically said you do this or you're going to end up in, you know, I love the whole setup there because to let her know, hey, the whole world thinks you're dead. And if you don't do what we said, see that photograph, that's where you're going to go. Yeah. That's the funny thing to me is like she, but it kind of goes right with her. She's just kind of a fucking spoiled disaster mess of a person. Like she honestly thinks she has a choice. 
<laughs> right. And up to that point, she had a choice. She just did whatever I had to do to get to the next fix. But now, I mean, even when you see her on trial during those quickie little montages that we get, you think, oh my gosh, she's going to, she's going to be, she's been committed to, to death and she's done. And you think it's going to have an effect on her. Nope. She goes ape shit in the courtroom. <laughs> she just starts tossing right? people around. She wants it. She was ready to jump out the window. Oh yeah. Again, just like a previous movie, we're getting in some montages again. We're like, granted the, the you know the thing that led up to her, you know the thing of her trial and her execution, whatever. But we're actually getting to see her doing some martial arts training now, some firearms training, and then she starts learning a little more about computers and and, and about etiquette. When I saw this in the theater, I had no idea she was in it. But when she walks in to her class the first time with Anne Bancroft, I was oh my gosh, dude! I was like going okay, this movie is already elevated for me. I was already enjoying it to that point. I was already into the whole setup. But once you, what, you put Anne Bancroft in a movie, just classic, and and she's super sweet. She's playing Amanda. She's, I mean, she's like a senior operative with, with this organization. And she's recognizing Maggie's troubles because she's seen it all before. And she was, been Maggie. she was Maggie. But watching her be so sweet and smiling all the time, and as soon as Maggie presses the wrong button, she just like a switch and basically just says, I'll choke you out right here. <laughs> I'll kill you right here. In time, you'll discover that she ends up being her best friend in the organization, basically a true mentor for her, which I think is really cool. But this is the beginning of that. And if there's one thing that I, I feel about this movie, I, th- I, I think it's almost perfect. I think I wish there would have been more with Amanda and Maggie because I really like that dynamic. Yeah, no, man. I mean, God, Sam Bancroft, man. How could you not? Right. There's there's a certain honesty that like comes through. I, I really enjoyed those sequences too. Yeah. Um, the sort of Pygmalion, if you will. Yeah. I love the scene where Byrne tells her, uh, you need to learn to walk and talk and, uh, you know, be a human being. <laughs> right. Be what you should have been like every normal woman in her 20s. Yeah. <laughs> that was right? great. Yeah. Yeah. Those sequences with Bancroft are amazing. Yeah. The one big sit down with all the other operatives and then she just can't deal with, you know, having the etiquette class. Right. And she's just trying to use forks and she's just done with it. And she just starts pulling the caveman thing and just ripping the meat off the bone and just eating it with her hands and scooping up her pate or whatever the fuck that was. Taking into her moose with a handful moose of and, moose. And just eating it with a big smile on her face. And then she looks over and you, and you just see the look on Amanda's face. And I'm like, that's the look you don't want from that woman. And yeah, totally. <laughs> You, you saw Maggie at her worst executing that police officer. but And if you've seen her act up in the courtroom, but now you're seeing her, no matter what the setting is, this is a bad dog that needs retraining. Dude, she's, I was just going to say, she's like a she's like a cagey animal. Yeah. You've seen her in every scenario now. You've seen her in a societal scenario. You've seen her in, uh, in a dire straight situation. And you've seen her in a courtroom. You've seen all these different variations of, of characters of this character's life that you would see from any one character in one movie, but you're getting it all in one movie. You're like, all right, I know who this person is now. I understand her. And what's cool about that, it's really clever because they don't overdo the training in it. Oh no. Yeah, exactly. Because you, you know that when you see her at the beginning of the movie, at the courtroom and her interactions with Amanda, but by the time she gets to her first assignment, you know she's come a long way. You don't need to see all the expositional or additional montages. You don't need right. it. You know, you know what's happened. Yeah, it's good storytelling, man. And it's also it's it, it it's the actors. I mean, you know, Fonda's doing. I mean, dude, 
I mean, I love her and I love her in a lot of movies, but I want to say I probably didn't think this until a few days ago when I watched it again, but this might be her best performance. Oh, yes. I love her in Jackie Brown. I love her in Single White Female, Doc Hollywood. There's not really much I don't love her in, but this is the movie where I was like, holy shit. And I think until I watched it, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, I never really like was like, oh yeah, this is it, man. And she's so good. She is. And there's, there's a certain natural way she communicates on screen that you can sit there and say that maybe she's not a great actress. Like you could say that, oh, she seems like she isn't, she's not a very good actress. I'm like, why? Because she's, because she's, for she's likable. She had had this body of work for like 10 years. And the reason why you look at her and you think, oh, she's not acting. Well, I kind of say, dude, she's a lot like Tom Hanks in that sense that when she's in those kinds of roles, people just think, oh, they're not acting. I've seen her in interviews. She's just a nice person. I'm like, no, man, this is where you get to see. You get to see what you've used to seeing from her later in the movie. You get to actually see her act in this movie where you get to see her play a character where she doesn't feel like she's done the same thing in other movies and she hasn't. Oh yeah. That sequence, that scene where she's lying in her bed and in her dirty underwear and like wife beater and listen to Nina Simone yeah. and uh burn comes in and she's like, you know, and that just that whole, to me, that's, that's the moment where I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally in for this ride. Yeah. And it, you know, it, everybody's solid across the board, but the fact that they didn't overshoot this, they didn't play, they didn't go by the numbers, especially in the nineties where everything was a goddamn montage. Yeah. Uh, I think it serves the movie. Oh yeah. They were so smart. In fact, instead of doing more montages, they just made sure that they knew what they had coming across because you got, you like you noted, we, there's a great cast here. Let's not spend it showing everybody as, as pretty people. Let's like, let's see them do something and say something. Yeah. So Bob is, uh, hey, you know what? You, you get your first assignment, right? We're going to go to dinner. We're going to go to dinner. And I You're doing so well. Yeah, so Amanda's got it all prettied up and everything like that. And Bob is taking her out to dinner. Basically, like say, it was almost like a, hey, we're at the end of the road here. Congratulations kind of thing. You know, you've done so well. Let's, I want to let's celebrate your achievements at this point. So they go and while they're sitting down in the restaurant, Bob pushes over this box to her as a, you know, here's a gift for you. And this is really sweet ass hardwood box that she opens that up. That box is beautiful. And it's gorgeous <laughs> box. And I mean, I know what's in it. You know, yeah, what's, we in know it. what's in it. Everybody who has ever seen the movie knows what's in it. Except for her. Except for her. Because <laughs> no one's ever given her a gift. I, I would say no one's ever given her a gift, much less something that grand. Yeah. So she opens it up and there's a, a handgun. And a, yeah. and a clip. And Byrne doesn't even look at her, man. He just tells her. Look up, up up there. There's a VIP up there. That's his bodyguard. And that's his girlfriend. Put at least two in the VIP. Peace out through the, the bathroom, men's bathroom window. and Be a car outside. Yep. See you back at uh, headquarters. <laughs> so she goes, I'll see you outside in five minutes. <laughs> Don't do just, anything until I leave. Yeah, it was so, what a great setup. Because you've been seeing all these achievements for her and you're getting dolled up and the music's all swelling and everything. And it's just like, nope. It's a reminder. Once again, Maggie has been designed and trained to be a hitman for this unknown government agency. And now she gets to go do her first job. That's the celebration here. <laughs> you're, right. about to, you're about to graduate sooner. <laughs> so she goes up there, puts two in the VIP, one in the bodyguard. And then off she goes running for that men's bathroom. And this VIP 
man, he's got more than just that bodyguard because people Dude, are coming out of the woodworks. Right? I love the bit on the stairs where she kicks the awaker down yeah. on top of the guy and then leaps over the banister in that little dress and no shoes. And yeah, I mean it's it's a well it's a well choreographed piece of action. Yeah, and just a great sequence of her escape too. Yeah. Not just the part where it turns on her, <laughs> her escape turns on her, but the rest of the way too. She gets to the men's bathroom and goes exactly where Bob told her to go. And that last stall, there's going to be a window there. Open it up and out you go. Well, she opens up the window. Bricks. And it's a brick wall. And she's a dog in the corner. So now this is that that raw, rabid dog that Bob always saw in her as the key to her core of being a great operative. Is this, Now she's that dog back in the corner. What's the dog going to do? And see if that training worked for her. And she does. She some dude rushes into the bathroom. She makes quick meat of this guy. And then she goes running across the hall through the kitchen. She's in pursuit by uh, some more of this guy's bodyguards, a uh, security team. And there's a showdown in a kitchen that uh, it's like, as soon as they get there, I forgot. I, 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 it's one of my favorite moments of right? the movie. And it just, it just like a blink of an eye. It's over. And I'm like, man, I thought, I forgot how short it was. But it's like one of my favorite moments in the movie. I want it to be longer. But she's like having a little gunfight with with these guys. She runs out of ammo. Things are really quiet. There's two dudes that are like in pursuit of her at this point. And then out of the shadows, one of the guys that were shooting at her pulls out a <laughs> rocket launcher. Oh, yeah. Screws it onto his gun. Duck dives into uh, his ventilation system. Well, I shouldn't say ventilation system, but the, the uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, the, the linen pant, the, the linen shoot down to uh down to the basement or whatever and she goes sliding down that as this rocket launcher explodes and the ball of fire shooting down the the linen shoot as she ends up in this giant cart full of old dirty soiled linens yeah gross it is gross that was it man that was her final test and she's completed her training yeah i love she runs out she's runs out of the river i my there's this weird moment that i love where she takes and she throws the gun into the river with both hands right like and she's throwing a discus right, right. <laughs> like like she's going for the gold and that was crazy about the whole sequences like she got out of there and then when she when when she gets to that point where she throws the gun, I was I, I'm always reminded by oh yeah yeah she got to get rid of that right. But that's part of her training, you know. Bob doesn't say dump the gun. Yeah, it's a reflex now, which is really telling you she's got quite an aptitude for this line of work. She's good at it. She's like official now. You know, Bob tells her you're done after she chews him out. Like what? What you set me up? And like no, I can't bring her reeling her back into reality, Maggie. You are an operative, and this is what we trained you for, and you did exactly what we expected you to do. Yeah. And also, you're not high on the list here. I don't think she really ever had a grasp on how much, you know, he went out on a limb for her because they wanted to put her down. Oh, yeah, exactly. Fucking Miguel Ferrar. Put a bullet in her. And there's, there's over time, you know, because he becomes really close to her, and we, you never really say why. In, in a lot of ways, if you think about La Femme Nikita and the relationship that Nikita's fat handler had, and if you look at the professional, there's something to be said about the older man and the younger female in those two movies. You know, the professional always has this really weird Lolita thing going on. The same thing with Nikita and as, as well as point of no return. There's a, there's this thing that they don't talk about where this older man is like taking in this younger woman and you think it almost like a father figure, but they're kind of pressing some of those weird Frenchie buttons, right? <laughs> yeah, they're definitely kind of goes both ways. So, I mean, she sort of has 
a weird feeling for for, uh, for Bob. Burn. Yeah, they just they just they just don't they. But I love they don't act on it, man. And I love that it's just always there. It, there's a wall, right? That won't ever. When she tells him, "I'm never gonna kiss you again," holy shit, dude! Right, the way they handled it was really good. Next morning, she's released. You know, she's like, "Up, oh, you're on your you're on your way. You're free. You're free, Maggie." And she takes off to Venice because you know that they're. They didn't really say where they're at this point, right? They just assume they're still in D.C. Yeah, I mean, I was never sure where that underground uh, training facility was. But I didn't care, you know? I mean, I, I knew they were, like, in some big city. Right. Um, yeah, and then next thing you know, bang, dude, Venice Beach, California. Almost like, just like the, she's kind of back to her old freewheeling days, and she's kind of like, she almost like when she shows up the apartment where to, to get the room, it, it feels like, you know, just kind of like, uh, I didn't have a plan. I'm just showing up in L.A. and then see what happens. Yeah, totally. And this is where she meets JP, played by Dermot Mulroney. If there is a weak link in the movie, it's him. It's funny, too, because I like Dermot and other stuff. But yeah. Like, at this point, all I could see was Dirty Steve from Young Guys. <laughs> and I remember, in, I remember seeing it in the theater and being like, oh, Dirty Steve, really? Because he was, like, my least favorite. <laughs> That's But that was literally... Before, you know, that was before Zodiac and all of these other, you know, right. meteor sort of roles. Here's this, what I'll say about him. Watching it now, realizing, dude, he's pretty much at his uh, physical, like, you know, handsome. Like, I mean, I could see why they cast him. You know, a few years later is when he kind of hit the big, hit the jackpot with uh, the Julia Roberts movie. Right. I mean, they really, they do look good together. The two of them. Yeah. They're very pretty. <laughs> I think one of the problems I have with this character in it is that JP has written a lot like that naggy girlfriend that, yeah. can't, that can't stop asking questions. He is the naggy girlfriend. In that 80s trope of you know romantic comedies where the that the girlfriend can't stop nagging the, the boyfriend about whatever and just always pressing him. He does it several times in the movie. He's And what's weird is he questions her so early on. It's, it's the only thing in the movie that always... Oh yeah, I forgot that that happens. I forgot that that happens. It just, I don't know. It feels, it feels forced or it feels like something was missing to kind of lead it to the point. So like one of the, like, it's only like the second time they're, they're hanging out together and it's like her, the answer that she gives him when he questions her about something was totally acceptable, but he doesn't accept it. He just keeps growing her. And then, yeah, I understand why, why, how it elevates, but I feel like it, you know, I think it's already three steps into that before you know, Bob ever even shows up. Yeah, totally. I mean, it, they do move that along pretty quickly. I mean, I'm not sure how much time is supposed to have passed between her showing up there and looking at the dirty apartment he's showing her right. and their little cute moment in the grocery store to like when they hook up. Right. But I mean, I feel like she's the one who initiated the hookup anyway, because I think she just needed like human contact. Right. Um, as much as a solitary creature as she's supposed to be. But I don't know how much time is supposed to have passed. Right. And yeah, I feel like maybe there was some other sequences that they shot, like, but they just didn't work in the movie. So yeah, it is weird. Like the moments, the, the moments with him are a little clunky for sure, but I feel like they're necessary for, they're necessary to get us to New Orleans. <laughs> right. So Gabriel shows up, Bob shows up. Hey, Uncle Bob. It's Uncle Bob. It's, it's really funny. And this is kind of where it's, where you're kind of like, well, like JP's like super suspicious of him. And I'm like, well, what are you so suspicious of him? Well, you know, she never talks about, you know, she never talks about her life. She never talks about anything. And then once, once Bob starts going into this monologue about Maggie, when she was little on the farm, dude, the way she looks at him the whole time, I, what I loved about it was this, and this is how I took it. 
I took it as her look is like the story Bob is telling is legit. It's something about it, something that she really experienced. And her look of surprise is that he knows about it. That's how, that's exactly how I took it. It was letting us know what was really down in the heart of that girl. And it really kind of made me, you know, think, well, who's her father and how to buy, you know, right. it, it was a nice moment to let you sort of see into the character. That's when you had that separation right there from the whatever romantic thing that they were kind of alluding to of this guy is truly a father uncle kind of figure to her that he's their protector there's no romantic interest kind of thing like i care about her this much that you know i'm protecting her identity here and and in the guise of this but that's i really felt like it was something that really happened to her in in her youth and but she just had that thing about her you know maggie just wants to be somebody that wants to leave everything behind right yeah oh yeah like i i'm done being this i'm done i only go forward i don't go exactly which i thought was a great setup and in a great little almost i want to say not a period <laughs> but more like an ellipses to, yes. to her and bob absolutely that whole dinner scene is great which for a movie that's kind of like action based or thriller based anyway action thriller based it's like the dinner scenes and all the etiquette scenes with amanda yeah they seem like they're just kind of there to fill time and most movies are there to fill time but they really pace the movie and these and they continue the storytelling there's not they're not just there because everybody looks pretty and the sets look nice yeah not at all they serve the purpose of uh of a segue but they're also entertaining and don't feel clunky and feel real because you're engaged with what's going on. You're not just like, Oh God, all right, get on with the, let's see, you know, you're, you know, you're genuine. I mean, I am anyway, I'm genuinely into what's going on in those moments because they're kind of crisp and they're, they're, there's some good stuff going on. All the actors all had chemistry, you know, yeah. which is again, sometimes it comes down to casting. You cast the right people. You know, you can read the phone book. Exactly. Everybody, it really is so good in this movie. You mentioned earlier that uh, of her being in her in her room at, at the at the headquarters where she was being trained or reprogrammed, if you will. She's got a thing that she asked for early on where she says, I need Nina Simone records. He goes, you like Nina Simone? Yeah. And she's kind of a theme. You know, you're, you're hearing yep. some Nina Simone in the beginning of the movie. You're hearing her in hearing her through her headphones while she's while she's in her room oh yeah and uh nina simone is uh played quite a bit once she gets to venice and well and her code name so when she gets that phone call it's not maggie she responds to it's nina and that's how you know that she's got an assignment and uh so what's her first assignment when she gets to venice the first assignment is uh she has to deliver the uh food cart to um which I'm guess, I guess is like a senator or somebody who's like in a witness witness relocation kind of vibe. Right. She shows up at the hotel and there's a bunch of other operatives and we see that uh, you know the the kid the hotel kitchen staff they're all bound and gagged on the floor in the kitchen. Right. And she's dressed as a maid and you're like what the fuck's going on here? And it looks like the guy from Code of Silence, one of the cops. <laughs> right. Is like the head bad guy there. And he just says, hey, this is what we need you to do. We need you. What do I need to do? Take the cart upstairs. And what else? Just leave the cart. Off you go. And she delivers the cart, gets the one of the henchmen to go ahead and sign off on it. And off she goes. Then she's done. I need nothing else to do but sit around and wait. And they don't tell her anymore about it. Go ahead and go home. So she gets in her car. And they did this great camera shot. <laughs> she gets her car and looking up towards the balcony that she was just at. And this whole corner portion of this building just explodes. Dude. And what a great explosion too, man. Oh, so good. It's funny because this 
like the explosion, like all, I mean, and then a year later, the kind of explosion in green screen and drop zone, right. like the production value fell off just a bit, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it explodes. And you know, this is the, this is the first time we sort of see her. Maybe she has some feelings about this. We're not sure. Right. It's pretty crazy that she just kind of like has no idea. She's completely disheveled from this because it was one thing to, to go in and kill a couple of really bad people, but she just smoked like 15, 20 people all in one fell swoop. And she, it just like with the, her first assignment, she had no idea walking into it, what was going to happen. She had no idea what was on that cart when she brought up, she just take up the, t- she probably was just under the assumption based on how low key the other operators were presenting it, that it was just, Hey, we're, you know, we're bugging the hotel. We're trying to get information. Because she's still naive to the fact that you you're not a spy, sweetheart. You're a hitman. The organization you work for, their job is to eliminate lives. <laughs> yes. Eliminate assets yep. and liabilities. The next thing we see is her and Dermot planning a vacation. And then next thing you know, they're in the big easy. Uh, Uncle Bob was nice enough to fit the bill for him. Yeah, sending them on a, a trip in case they want to get married or right. whatever. Maybe you you guys need a vacation. Yeah. And they may have discussed that. I don't recall. They did, did they discuss that. They at the discussed dinner? it at the dinner table. Yep. There they are in New Orleans and she gets that phone call, right? <laughs> right. They're, they're getting all romantic and shit on the bed after, well, this is after they've been, you know, almost mugged and like he, he's kind of, his ego's kind of Bruce. How did you do that? Da, da, da. But he's also super turned on and they're fucking yep. around and she orders room service and then the phone rings. Right. And and before that, you make a great great point about that beating up those two thugs in the alley that kind of try to to mug them. How much is that like that first scene at Sweet Freedom in Drop Zone? Oh yeah, where he almost reveals that he's a cop, right? Because <laughs> she just like I mean, literally makes short work of them. It's the same moment, and just off they go. And I really wish they would have showed her picking up them, taking the money back. But that would have been nice. But whatever. But so they end up back at the hotel, like you said, they're getting all romantic and getting all you know, sweet, and he's questioning her a little bit and this is one of those times that he questions her and completely fair where did that come from why how could how'd you kick those guys asses so quickly uh, i would have been in a corner uh, of the alley in my own blood and piss and feces right phone call comes in nina like oh she's on the clock she gets that look in her face you see yeah you see it all in the face man you just kind of like oh you son of a bitch but again, still that naivete that she's got, she still wants to see good in people, which is really funny. That's what a 180 that is from the Maggie we saw at the beginning of the movie. She's trusting of people now in a big way. And now she's realizing, you know what? <laughs> I can't trust anybody that calls me Nina. Yeah. So she's basically told the assignment, hey, go in the bathroom. There's a rifle in the bottom drawer. Everything you need is in the, the, the drawer. She goes to the bathroom and she goes open up the window and she can't. The window won't open. So she's got to grab a towel and break the window. Just one of those paned, you know, sectioned off windows. Yep. So she breaks a small pane just so she can stick the rifle out there and eliminate the target. Well, while this is happening, super anxious JP <laughs> is in one of his questioning spells. And I'll, and again, all fairness, there's only one times that she he really deserves to be questioning her. Well, he's trying to propose. And I like the fact that he stopped questioning her about what happened in the alley because his focus was, I'm going to be, I'm going to ask this woman to marry me while we're here on this special trip. Right. And she's like basically ignoring him because she's trying to focus, keeping her eye on the targets. And it's targets, plural, because she knows it's one of these three people that can walk in out of this club, but she hasn't given the green light to take the shot because she doesn't know which one of the three is her exact target. Yeah. 
And it's just ramping up, intercutting back and forth from Bridget to the three people to JP. Oh, it's back and forth. Back. I mean, it's really well edited. Oh yeah, man. It doesn't, it, it doesn't, you feel anxious really quick. And I, and I didn't realize how anxious that moment makes me until I saw it again. A second time this week, really just, ugh. yeah. Right. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> it is, you know, him on one side, spilling his heart out, her trying to find the target through her tears and back and forth between outside and the people and the woman in the wig. And it's just like, good God. It is the moment in the movie where she says, I can't have this duality anymore. I need to be me or I need to be what they want me to be. I got to get out of this. Even before she's executed this person. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's just a great moment. Literally, I mean, it was just, it's so, if you sit there and as we're talking about it, you start realizing the figurative aspect of it. Like literally there is a door between her old life and her new life. And it's just... Really, I mean, it, it seems so simple, but it, it is so effective. And you just, you could feel it for her. You just know that she's has to make a choice. And you can see it in her face, the tears, like you noted. Yeah. I'm done. This is, this is it. I'm going to. It's my last job. <laughs> right. She finally gets tone. It's the woman. Boom. Kills the woman. But JP just breaks the door. Right. He comes in casually sitting there on the edge of one of those old school bathtubs that are separate from the wall. Right. And, and you see the, 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 the bubbles from the tub sitting on top. I'm like, Oh, you know, that's where she threw the gun. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> it's all sitting in there. Again, that's a very tense moment. Cause like he's coming in cause she might've had to kill him. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm just saying she probably could have just, I feel like I, there was a moment where I remember when I first saw it, I was like, fuck, is she going to have to drown him in the tub? Right. I wasn't sure they weren't going to go for it. Her lack of understanding of really what her world is now is what was making her think that she can go on and have a normal life or the normal life that she would have had if she didn't become a, a junkie like she had that we discovered in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, totally. And he's just giving it to her. JP just giving it to her, you know. And he deserves to be given it to her because, right. you know, why are you ignoring me? Because she's just casually sitting on the bathtub. Like, why aren't you talking to me? When he sees her all crying, like he just assumes that it was about them. Right. It's about, yeah, it's about the moment and she's not ready. And it's very, I mean, it, it, it works on all levels. I mean, I want to say this is probably my favorite. This and the, this is maybe his best moment in the movie. Oh yeah. Although I do like the end is the last time we see him. It's, it's it's where Dermot kind of redeems himself. In all fairness, that's the way he was written. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, totally. can't, I can't totally blame him. Maggie realizes I got to, I got to get out of this. And like, we already knew that we knew we just need to hear her say it. And she asked Bob how to get her out of the agency. And I think it was this, uh, is it before this, or is this the same sequence where she asked Amanda? This is the same She Yeah. This is where she asked Amanda like about getting out. And then she, you know, then she, uh, she tries to go to Bob. He goes, basically just says, no, <laughs> you know, no, you know, he won't let just let her out, but tell you what, you complete this one task and I'll get you out. Right. And it's like one more job. And this is where I watched the beginning credits and seen Olivia Davo's name come up. And I'm like, where the hell is she in this movie? You know, and I, Dude. I completely forgot she was in yeah, it. Yeah, me too. And the other thing too, this is where we get that nice juicy fucking Miguel Ferrar moment where like his character yes. from Robocop didn't get killed and he just ended up working for these guys. Exactly. Right. So good. Miguel plays director Kaufman and he's just. He's a douche. He's a, he's a douche. And he, you saw him earlier in the movie too, basically just saying you got six months when, when, when Maggie was first training, he basically, no pun intended, kept Bob on a short leash oh, yeah. when it came to her. And you got six months to turn her after that she's done again. We knew 
what dire straits Mackie was in and the situation as if the beginning didn't tell you enough. Bob just says, Hey, here's, we're going to be buried if you don't do what we tell you to. So it was nice when Miguel popped up later on when, and I love his moment later on. Dude, so yeah, good. I mean, me too. I mean, he, I, that guy I was, I was down with when I saw him in the movie, it made me super happy. I, Cause again, yeah. I forgot he was in it. Like I hadn't seen it in a while. He's not in it a lot, but he's super memorable and he's pivotal. 100%. So she finds out her task is to uh, meet up with this other operative and that operative, by the way, we talked about Hudson Hawk the other day, the the actress that was, gosh, I'm going to say her name because I'm going to hate that I didn't do the research on this. Lorraine Toussaint mm-hmm. playing Beth. She is sitting in the kitchen or in the dining room area in the apartment when JP comes home. So he, she and Maggie are, are talking and they're going over their plans for this last job that's going to get her out. And he comes home and now JP is just, he's just kind of done listening to whatever BS excuses that Maggie's coming up with or just not saying anything at all. He goes, oh, you, you can't be Uncle Bob. Uh, what are you, uh, Aunt Mildred or whatever she Red says? Or Cousin Myrtle. Cousin Myrtle. I, get, I mean, he's, but he's actually kind of, this is, his rant is perfect because he doesn't stop and make a meal. He just keeps talking. And he eventually says something and then he goes, and he just walks away and goes to the bedroom. Yeah, it's awesome because it's just like a bitchy girlfriend. Right. So, and then, <laughs> right. And Maggie and Beth look at each other and they go back to work. Next time you see them, they're getting all dolled up in their outfits because they are playing massage therapists or some uh, like hairstylists, you know, right? Hairstylists, like to, I mean, they're sort no, of spa mobile, people, mobile spa, mobile spa. We don't know who the target is. They're not really saying, or do they say? Yeah, he says, "I want you." They, they show, oh yeah, show, yeah, 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 show, yeah, yeah. He, Bob shows yeah. him the picture of Richard Romanus. Yes, um, he he's like a you know he's a Middle Eastern millionaire who's playing both sides of the fence. Right, he's 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 an Iranian. It's like he's he's trading some nukes because you know this is back when movies can use the nuclear weapon uh, uh, sales as as a as a plot point as a plot point. And uh, yes, yeah, so you do you do mention this is where Olivia Davo comes into play, and they find out her job is to just to masquerade as as Angela Olivia Davo's character. But first, they got to take care of her. <laughs> right. When Beth and and Maggie show up at this at this pet house, they're they're there to kind of under the guise of playing these mobile spa people, where they're doing a hand, doing a pedicure and manicure. They just they're not trying to kill her. They just want to knock her out so they can impersonate her. So they're like, "Hey, you want some tea?" And the plan was to give her some tea that was going to knock her ass out. She was going to get herself all dolled up like like Angela's supposed to look, and then head back to to Fod's place and do the deed. So she goes, I don't want any tea. And then she starts getting super shitty with both of them. And then she's trying to do something to keep things chill and not bring attention to the bodyguards. Eventually, Maggie just goes, well, F it. Plan B it is and pulls out a syringe and jams her in the neck. Or she's not going to go quietly. And Angela starts freaking out, bringing the attention of some of the bodyguards over. And then Beth's got to pull out her weapon and shoot some people. And in turn, she gets shot herself. Nasty situation. And things go completely south. So Beth picks up the phone. She's calling it in saying, we're in trouble. I'm shot. We need somebody to clear us out here. Yeah. Beth's losing her shit. So then, the, well, the next thing we see is we see um, who who should show up other than Harvey Keitel with yeah, Harvey his cool Keitel. glasses on. <laughs> Victor, the cleaner. Victor. Right? Yeah. And his job is there to salvage the mission. Dude, I love that he, like, the, the security guys trying to explain he just shoots him dead and pushes him in the elevator he's like oh, he, he he doesn't have beth ranting because she's losing her mind he just like shoots her yeah like done enough and and then you get one of the best 
moments from Maggie and Amanda's interaction and, and the time that she took with the etiquette. She goes, and that's the moment. Remember I mentioned before where you never see Amanda do anything but smile at her. And that first time she draws back the smile and she gets serious with her was in this moment with a line that she's about to say. Yes. And I, I don't want to give away the line because it's just, it's just yeah. fun to experience it. It is. But she, and then you're like, oh, dude. Right. And then she's basically as her way of being told, all right, I got this. You don't have to worry about me because she didn't want to end up like Beth with some holes in her too. Yeah, absolutely. But when Harvey. Because he certainly was going to kill her. Right. Harvey put, pulls out a jug of sulfuric acid. Good God. And <laughs> he's just clearly pouring it on. Faces and fucking parts. But I love the legs hanging over the bathtub thing. You don't really, because you don't need a little as great, like smart uses of, of camera work where you don't have to have that person be there that day, you know, super, oh, yeah. you can, you could have put anybody with nice legs and the hop in the bathtub and then she's, and the legs start twitching and, <laughs> and Victor just goes, this one's not dead. <laughs> she right? was, well, she seemed dead. Little, she's dead ish. A little a little levity moment there, but it was just like, oh man, he's melting her face while she's still alive. So. I know, right? She can't even <laughs> scream. Oh, it's so gross, dude. You know what's funny, man, is Kaitel goes from being Victor the cleaner to the very next year being Winston Wolf. I want to say they're like the same person because I feel like it's almost like the same car. Yeah. Right? The red yeah. the convertible red Mustang. <laughs> yeah. Is it get the because when you can because uh I think in the um in pulp fiction it's a red NSX. You're right, but he just but upgraded it. But it's, it, so. but, it's, but it's still implied. Yeah, it's still. <laughs> right. Because here we you are. You know Tarantino probably digs this. Oh, dude, totally. Bit. Come on, dude. It's They're both Los Angeles-based. Winston Wolf is his name, and this guy's name yeah. is Victor. Come on, yeah, man. It's right. just, <laughs> just, it just seems. Because you got Vic Vega, right? Yeah. And you got Vincent Vega. Yeah, Vincent Vega. So now you've got, here, you got a Victor. I'm like, I don't know. Just it's, it, There's no question that Quentin, you know, was fond of this movie because of. Him. Well, he loves, I mean, he uses Bridget. And Fonda he's a Bridget. Right. And Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, yeah, yeah. I like to pretend that all LA crime movies are kind of in the same world. And like, I loved cross character, like Michael Keaton being in Out of Sight and Jackie Brown is the same as Ray Nicolette. That was one of my favorite moments in there because I love Out of Sight. And when you get to that moment, I'm like, is he playing the, oh, that's so great. I love right? it. Love it. Yeah, me too. There's something else too we uh, kind of glossed over. When Maggie is kind of like sitting there, kind of she's having, she's having a deep thought and she's watching the movie Deception. And when she's watching it, she's realizing that, you know what? I'm going to have to kill the people at the organization. And I'm going to have to eliminate them if I want to protect my relationship and just my life, this new life that she's been struggling with. Right. And it, it's, a, it's something you kind of experience. You don't realize that's really what's going on until later on. But this is something that happens between her planning it and, and her and Beth, ex, you know, going up to execute their job. But anyway, so there's dead people everywhere. Victor the Cleaner is doing his thing. Cleaning. Cleaning. Like he does. Like he does. Cleaner. But... But what Maggie doesn't know is that we have a great moment with Bob and Miguel Ferrer basically just having a video phone call, which is a very nice throwback to Robocop just before that, right? You got it. Yeah. And he's he just says, hey, you know what? Victor's you know, been told that once he's done with this and buys her to clean her ass too. Kill the girl. She's done. Yep. So, and we already know, we've known for a long time that Director Coppins had it out for, for Maggie just yeah. based on that earlier... Uh, Early moments when she was first training. So when out Bob's like, well, shit, <laughs> I can't, you know, 
this is this again. We've already established at the dinner that he doesn't see her in a romantic way. He sees her as, you know, his niece, his daughter, whatever. And he's just seemed very protective. So he's like, well, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. But you know, he's eventually going to order himself, Bob, to even her out too. We see Maggie and Victor driving, driving the, that red Mustang. <laughs> With her all dolled up, looking like Miriam, looking like uh, Olivia Diabo. said Miriam Diabo. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia Diabo. And they get to his house. And of course, the, the guards right away, just like, who's this guy? New driver. And then she just starts giving it to him the way Olivia Davo was giving it to him earlier. I'm like, oh. And they're just kind of like, oh, they're used to this getting yelled at. They're like, oh, fuck. It's not worth it. Right. <laughs> it was a chance she took because, honestly, she doesn't know. She could have been nice the rest of the time. She could just be a an asshole to that woman that's usually... She could just been annoyed because my normal manicures wasn't there. Yeah, absolutely. So they took a chance that she's like that all the time. And turns out she she is like that all the time. So they make their way up into the up to the house, and Victor stays in the car. Maggie goes inside, past everybody, same bullshit here, left and right. Goes upstairs, and it's funny as she's going up the stairs, Fod sees her on closed circuit. He's like, "Oh, there's my girl." Obviously, he's fooling her enough through this black and white. 13 inch screen that, <laughs> that's her and comes in there and she pulls out her gun she's got her nice little handgun with a silencer on it because you know she's a hitman and she basically just says i need to yeah i need you to unlock your computer for me do it fat man yeah totally or you're dead and there's a great moment with these really hardcore ecus of both of them kind of intercutting between the two of them Right. Another uh, more kudos yeah. again to the uh, to the editing side of things because it's just the tension. Man. Tension is just just like that moment in New Orleans. This is like and it's done in such a different way too. We're talking about a movie that was edited in 1992. Yeah, I would. Bet. Right. This is this is strictly Moviola Chem days. This is all still editing on film. This is there's no avids yet. There's nothing. It really says a lot about. I say it's a lot about editing movies that are edited prior to even when Avid came wrong. I'd say until like 98, 97, 98, when it kind of came along, the craftsmanship behind an editing team and the way you can execute something this effective. There's a reason why you saw a lot of the same editing back in the day, because it was almost a formula, but there's something yeah. unique about this movie and the way they handle things is we have three moments in the movie that have amazing tension built up and they're all executed very differently and yeah had great sure. moment though great moment between fod and and maggie and she gets what she needs and well yep she he doesn't get killed um but he gets the secrets and and she's got a bail and off she goes and gets back into the car with victor and and victor's been outside fucking some people off already <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and you know maggie's really you know did a nice little insert shot of seeing the gun and victor's waistband but and it's one of those moments like we know What's going on? This is the moment where she's really suspicious of everybody. And she wasn't before that. Naivete we mentioned earlier, it's gone now. It's been shed. Yeah, like her spidey senses are tingling, man. They're sharpening. And every job she gets a little bit more, uh, you know, getting a little more seasoning on her. But she also is, you know, starting to realize that it doesn't matter what side you work for. You're only you're only useful to somebody till you're not. Right. Exactly. So, so she goes, she doesn't know what to do. So she just grabs on and starts struggling, fighting with him while they're still driving. And it causes the, causes the car to spin out of control, crash into a, like a, a safety barrier near a, a ravine. Goes and yeah, hits that metal guardrail and kind of goes 
all kind of leans over and then the car kind of hips over it and it's kind of hanging from its front wheels, I think, right? Like yeah. the car. Yep. And the and the rear wheels are fucking spinning like mad. Yeah, and you've got a Mustang that is a real drive car. So yeah, you know, the whole drivetrain is back there pushing those two wheels. Even though there's nobody up there, the kind of the kind of things are kind of spinning, cars jacked up, but it's just hanging over the side. But Victor, being the adamant professional that he is, he's like, I still gotta even if I'm the one who dies, you gotta go too. And this is another sequence, man. Oh, dude. Really, dude, it's really well done because it really shows you how it's not that easy to kill somebody. And the this the the way that the two of them are going at, like when when he starts to choke her and she leans forward and puts his forearm on that fucking tire, yeah, smoking, but he won't let go. It, it's yeah, man. I mean, again, it's a super uh, angsty moment, right? Victor is an operative just like she is, but she's. He's been doing it for decades, but now he's also over at time. He's become very specialized and he's this guy that has no emotion because you need somebody like that to go clean up messes, you know, messes yeah. like that. Cleaner. Which I think is so funny about Winston Wolf being very talkative and Victor doesn't say shit. Yeah. Victor's not saying shit, <laughs> but yeah, dude, he's a, he's total Schwarzenegger. He's total, you know, Robert Patrick. He's total Terminator. He's not saying boo and this whole moment where it literally is like the end of terminator where it's just it's just bare bones now i should say it's just the exoskeleton yeah. reach, reaching this is for that moment right reaching this is the for moment after the fire right whatever human being you thought victor was <laughs> no this is he's he's a murderer it's gonna let you know why he's a specialty murderer now too oh my gosh yeah that sequence is so good i mean i couldn't even just it's so well executed there's nothing about it that i don't buy into just how when the cars moves more and it pins him down and he's still reaching for her and grabbing her leg. And it just, he doesn't give up so much like that moment in Terminator in the, in the, in the, in the I don't say warehouse in the, uh, he's going to keep coming. He's never going to stop. Yeah. Dude, it's so good. And yeah. ev eventually he does get stopped. <laughs> car, dude, that, like the, the whole ratchet, the, the, the way they do the sound design of the car, the yeah. braking, the whole thing, the creaking, you know, it's all coming. It's, it's, it, you know, and when it does and it falls and it crushes him, you hear him and then drug down the hill, you know? Yeah. So good. So good. Well, Maggie eventually makes her way back to her apartment. Beat to shit. Yep. She's jacked. Dude, her face, those, those marks on her face and that the marks on her neck from where he was choked. I mean, you see all of it. Right. But she bails in the middle of the night. She just, she pieces out. Bob goes to follow up, goes to the apartment, and then there's JP there, and he's just kind of, she's gone, dude. So whoever you are, just fuck off. Yeah, is basically what leave, her, leave her alone. You know, whoever you really are to her, leave her alone. So he's like, oh, fuck. all right, well, that's that. She left his disc for you, and she throws him the disc. So, yeah, here's something for you. And also, can he takes the Nina Simone record. He's like, can I have this? And he's like, take it. And then he's asking him, you like Nina? You like Nina? He's like, I love her. And obviously is that moment where you're like. I'm not talking about Nina Simone. Well, could, because he doesn't, JP has no idea that Nina is her code name. So. Right. I mean, yeah, he's not talking about her. Right. But I, I feel like this was a good moment. This is, this is like probably this and the other moment with Dermot are like, that's why his character for me, like, is like, like redeemed. Right. Some of the. Because uh, he stopped complaining. Yeah, right? He's not complaining. He's just like, get the fuck out of here. Take the record and go. Bob goes on to his car, and he's getting ready to turn the corner, and he looks in the rear of the mirror, and he sees a figure. 
to it because it's really foggy down by Venice. Foggy Venice Beach evening. And he sees her. She's pretty sure that he sees her. But she just turns and keeps walking and she has a nervous look in her face. She's not looking back. She just keeps walking and walking. And eventually he drives away and she looks back and sees him gone. And she realizes that she's free. But she had to leave her life behind to protect her, to protect JP. Otherwise, this was never going to stop. Right. We go to credits. Crawl start. Right. You know. Right. And over a, a nice Nina Simone song. Right. And before that, Bob calls into Miguel Ferrer and just says, Cleaner's dead. Pauses a whole bunch and says, Maggie's dead as well. I got the information. Yep. She's dead. They're dead. That's it. That's it. That's point of no return. Dude. Yeah. I was always so bummed that we didn't get a sequel. I thought for sure. And it, the way it, it ended, right, it set dude. itself up. I, I was waiting, and then seven years later, you get a terrible TV show. Yeah, and thirty million, man, thirty million, nothing to shake a stick at. Ninety-two. No, that, I mean that's a pretty good rake. I don't know what it costs to make it, but I mean, you know, bringing in thirty million dollars in nineteen ninety-two is like, you know, that's close to a hundred million now, right? I would think. And I'm a single white female. When was that again? That was, was the year before. That was the year before. Too. So, I mean, she was definitely a draw. I mean, there's no way she's going to play a lead in anything if, without the success of that. Right. What I want to throw out real quickly is because Richard Romanus, who plays Fudd. Yeah. I love him. He's He always shows up. But, you know, he's the older brother of Robert Romanus. What? <laughs> who plays uh, Damone in Fast Times and Regiment High. And I always thought it was his dad. But they're brothers. Wow. Yeah, like Richard Romanus is like 15 or 20 years older than Robert. But yeah, it's his older brother. I just always thought that was cool. Richard Mouse is 77. Yeah, he was in, uh, he was, I always, I remembered him. The first thing I remembered him in, he was in, uh, Corsese, Mean Streets. Mean Streets, right. For some reason, I oddly remember him as, he's in the couch trip <laughs> with Dan Aykroyd. He's, uh, he's Charles Grodin's lawyer who's having an affair with Mary Gross. Jeez. See, I remember him from Murphy's Law. Yeah, he's with, the dirty with, detective. With Garner, right? yeah, yeah. That's, and he did that, uh, I want to say, just before Couch Trip, and I'm thinking about it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Seems, that seems about right. But yeah, he fun actor. But uh, this movie, obviously, you can tell that we both really dig this movie. Love it. I would say, I mean, I always liked it, but watching it over the last like two or three days. I watched it twice. I want to say I might like it more than I did when I saw it originally. And I liked it then. Yeah. Did this movie ever get a boutique release? No, man, not at all. And I was hoping that Warner brothers, you know, either Warner archive or, you know, I hope somebody picks this movie up and gives it a, a you know, I feel like it's screaming for it. So there you go. Point of return, John Bata, make sure you get the right one. Cause yeah, know, it sounds like you can make a mistake couple of different ways <laughs> right well this one has bridget fonda harvey Keitel, gabriel byrne and dermot moroni directed by john Badham. so if you if, if any of that's missing you're watching the wrong movie watching the wrong movie and put this way if you see it right now for free on prime it's not the right one <laughs> you want to follow us on social media you can follow Corey on twitter at Corey cope or the official at karate pod or on letterbox at Corey underscore cope if you'd like to follow freddie you can follow me at raven shattuck on twitter Rock and Roll of 33 on your Instagram or Tom Cody on Letterboxd. Cool. All right, man. Later. Later. <laughs>